doing that. Um, you know, whenever you consider a church, uh, it's important to know not just uh, what you see on a Sunday morning, uh, but also what the core beliefs are of that church. It's almost like looking at a house. Uh, you know, when you go to look at a house, maybe you're looking to buy a house, or maybe you're considering building a house, usually the things that we look at are things like the cabinet, the flooring, things that are very attractive, that immediately catch our eye. Uh, but really, the important part of a house is the substantialness of the structure, the, the framing. Uh, if the house is not built well, uh, those uh, nice cabinets and counters are not going to last anyway. And when it comes to a local church, uh, the core beliefs of the local church are, are like the framing. Um, they may not be things that are readily seen, readily visible, uh, but they form the core structure of the church. And so we're considering uh, 10 core beliefs that serve as kind of the, the structure, the framing of our church. And uh, everything else really is built off the health of these. So uh, today we are at Article uh, 6, which is uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we read this article at the beginning of uh, the service, but I'd like to read it again now. And I'm going to invite you all to once again read it with me so that you can participate in this. So uh, let, let's, let's read this together, all right? We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. Will you join me in prayer? Uh, Lord, we are grateful uh, that we have the privilege to gather here today uh, to be able to sing truth about who you are and what you've done, uh, to be able to connect with one another, to uh, to comfort those who are grieving, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Uh, Lord, it's good to be together. Uh, but Lord, what we also recognize today, um, that as we get together, uh, you are actually present with us. Uh, Lord, that you are alive, uh, that you have sent your Holy Spirit. And uh, so Lord, I pray that today you would tune our hearts, not just to your truth, but to your presence among us. So Lord, I pray that the uh, written word today would lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ, and that uh, God, our hearts would be warmed uh, by your presence among us. And God, you would conform our lives uh, to look more like the life of Jesus Christ. So please use uh, this time of teaching this morning toward that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, last week, uh, we considered Article 5 of uh, the EFCA Statement of Faith, which was about the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, what Jesus did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection uh, 2,000 years ago. Now, um, many might wonder, uh, what does the actions of somebody 2,000 years ago have to do with us today? Um, and some might think, well, maybe it's similar to other significant people in history. Maybe people like George Washington, or Thomas Jefferson, or Martin Luther King Jr., or Rosa Parks, significant people in history that we know these names, so we can tell you, uh, each other what they did, and we think about how their actions shape or affect our life today uh, because of how they lived or what they said. Um, they have a legacy, an influence that trickles down throughout the generations to us today. So some might think, oh, well, are we talking about Jesus' work in that way? 
that what he did 2,000 years ago trickles down throughout the generations and affects us today. Now, on one hand, yes, uh, his work does trickle down and its influence, his teachings, those things do affect us. But Jesus didn't claim his influence would be only like that of other significant historical figures. Jesus claimed a far greater kind of influence, of how his work 2,000 years ago would affect us today. Consider these two scriptures with me about how uh, Jesus claimed his influence would affect us today. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Before Jesus ascended, after he rose, he said to his disciples this, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you catch that at the end? He didn't say my teachings will be with you always, like my my words will not be forgotten. He won't say the weight of my life will affect generations to come. He said, I I personally will be with you always. Every generation that will, uh, will come until I return, I will be with. He claims to be present with every generation until his return. Uh, uh, this is made even more clear how this would happen in John chapter 14, uh, where Jesus is talking to his disciples before his death and resurrection, and he explains what would happen when he later leaves. He says this to them and to us. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here's the key point of this message this morning, all right? The key point is the Holy Spirit is the way in which Jesus is personally with us today and personally working through us today. Jesus sent the Spirit so that we could know Jesus, experience Jesus, be led by Jesus, and follow Jesus today. So we're going to consider three different ways uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're, going to consider the doc- we're going to consider the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, first of all, in terms of the story, the narrative of how he came. Then we're going to consider uh, the Holy Spirit in terms of some key facts that we need to know about the Holy Spirit. Then we're going to consider key implications of the Holy Spirit for our lives and for our, our church together. All right, are, are you all alert and ready this morning? Has the coffee kicked in? All right, let's, uh, let's buckle up and get going. Uh, first, the Holy Spirit, the story of His coming. And uh, if you have a Bible, um, I'm going to be referencing the story found in Acts chapter 2. So whether it's a a regular old school Bible or one on your device, uh, feel free to look at that. It'll also be on the screen here. Um, But I'm not going to read through the whole story. It's a long one, but it's a great story. So I encourage you to to go back and and dive into it. Uh, After Jesus' resurrection, uh, after 
uh, he rose. He then appeared and interacted with his disciples over, the peri- over a period of weeks. Uh, and during those appearances, he taught them and prepared them for the next stage of his mission uh, after he ascended. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he, inst- he said this to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives those words of instructions to his disciples. And after that, he ascended to heaven. And so the disciples then went back to Jerusalem and they waited for the very thing Jesus promised. Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will empower you to do the work that I have prepared you to do. So the disciples waited in Jerusalem. And they didn't have to wait long. Uh, The day of Pentecost arrived. And Pentecost uh, was a Jewish holiday. Uh, It it took place 50 days after the Feast of Passover. So you remember that Jesus was killed and then rose during the Passover uh, festival. So this was not that long after that event. Uh, And this this, uh, celebration was one of the annual harvest festivals. Uh, that the Jews celebrated. And so they had gathered together in a room in Jerusalem uh, to celebrate Pentecost. And when that, uh, on that day, the Holy Spirit came. And it's recorded in Acts chapter two. It says, a sound from heaven, like a mighty rushing wind, filled the house where all the disciples were gathered. And then it said, uh, uh, it appeared that as though tongues of fire appeared over each disciple. So the sound of wind and the sight of, of fire, and fire is a, a picture of God's presence, appeared over each disciple. And then the disciples uh, began to speak in other languages. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And at that time, there were um, Jews from many nations gathered in Jerusalem. And, and they heard this sound, the sound of rushing wind, and then the sound of um, speaking in many languages. And they came to check this out. And as they came, they began to hear uh, the mighty works of God being declared in their own language. And the people were astounded, overwhelmed, and very confused at what was taking place there in Jerusalem that day. So the apostle Peter stood up, and he gives the first sermon after the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful sermon. And uh, he first, when he stood up, he explained what was taking place as the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel had foretold. And uh, he quotes the the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 18, where we read this. It says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then Peter went on to explain that God was pouring out his spirit because the Messiah had come. The time that all the prophets had looked forward to had finally arrived. That Jesus was the Messiah. That he had died, and he had risen, he had ascended, and now sent the spirit uh, to, to come upon his, his followers. Now, the people that were listening to Peter's sermon 
uh, were both overwhelmed but deeply convicted by this. Because if Jesus was the Messiah, then we had killed him. And they were cut to the heart by this message. And they said to Peter, what shall we do? And then Peter says this to them in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 39. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And that day, 3,000 people uh, responded in faith to this message. Uh, They repented of their sin, they were baptized, put their faith in Jesus Christ. And this caused great transformation. Uh, We begin to see in the book of Acts, uh, people living very differently. They were devoted to God uh, in prayer and in the apostles' teaching. Uh, They were devoted to one another. Uh, You see them selling their property, giving to one another, having a deep love for each other. And they were devoted to Christ's mission, uh, telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit's coming had a powerful effect uh, in individuals' lives and in the life of the church. Now, that's a great story. Uh, I think most people read through it and think, man, what a time to, to be alive, to have experienced that. But it still leaves a lot of questions. Questions like, well, who exactly is the Holy Spirit, and what exactly does the Holy Spirit do? So let's move into uh, answering a couple key facts, all right? A couple key facts about the Holy Spirit. First, who is the Holy Spirit? Um, Now, some people, when they think of the Holy Spirit, they uh, maybe conjure up their deep love of Star Wars and think, oh, it's like the Force in Star Wars. Now, that is very cool, but it's not like that, all right? The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Um, We see Jesus talk about the Spirit's coming. He said, I will send another helper or another advocate, someone like me who will help you uh, be connected to me. So Jesus is a person. He would send another person uh, to connect with us. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force. Uh, Secondly, uh, the Holy Spirit, this person, is the third person of the Trinity. Um, The Holy Spirit has eternally existed within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So it wasn't as if the Spirit was created at the Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has always existed. And then third, the Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit isn't like down the pecking order on the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Well, if that's who the Holy Spirit is, well, what does the Holy Spirit do? Now, I am going to go through this very quickly, okay? So you have to really buckle up here because a lot of things were said in the statement of faith about what the Holy Spirit does. I'm gonna list them. We'll dive a little bit deeper into some of them. But I want to get to the implications at the end of this message, all right? So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, our statement of faith said, first of all, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. What that means is the Holy Spirit helps us to see and experience Jesus for who he really is. That by ourselves, we might appreciate him as a historical figure, might um, appreciate some of his teachings, but to really see him as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, present in our lives, uh, we need someone to connect us to that reality. 
It's almost like we're looking in the dark, and then the Holy Spirit shines a spotlight upon Jesus Christ. So we can see him for who he is. Us today can see him 2,000 years ago for who he really is. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of its guilt. The Holy Spirit helps us become aware that we need a Savior. That it's not just that he's a a great teacher to learn from and emulate, but he's a, a Savior, the one who came to rescue us. The Holy Spirit helps us know there's a problem in our world and a problem in our lives. Have you ever experienced that sense of conviction? Maybe you are feel deep um, sense of guilt over something that you have done or something you haven't done that you should have done. Well, that's the Holy Spirit like, working in your life not to condemn you, but to make you aware that there's a need, uh, that there's a diagnosis because there's a cure. The Holy Spirit helps us to know that we have a problem that Jesus has come to solve. Uh, third, the Holy Spirit regenerates sinners. That means he makes us come alive spiritually. The Bible tells us that we're dead to God and to what really matters in life. So we don't need just a little bit of like help to become a little bit better people. We need a resuscitation. We need to be made alive. And so the Holy Spirit breathes the life of God into spiritually dead human beings. He makes us come alive to God. Uh, fourth, uh, in him, in the Spirit, We are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. There's a lot there. Uh, What that means is that in the Spirit, we are joined to Jesus Christ. That word baptized, it means immerse. So if you go to the fair or somewhere and there's a dunking tank and the person goes under the water, they're fully immersed in the water. The Holy Spirit immerses us into the reality of, of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. To become a Christian is to be joined to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. We are joined into the life of God himself. So we're not just appreciating God, somehow we are participating. Peter talks about this, that in Christ we become partakers of the divine nature. Crazy statement, that somehow we are brought into the life of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings us, joins us in union to Jesus Christ in the life of God. We are made part of God's family forever. The Holy Spirit does this. Next, the Holy Spirit indwells us. So it's not just that we are brought into God. God is brought into us. We're called the temple of God. God has come to dwell in his people. That means we're no longer just trying to learn God's rules and in our own strength obey them. God's putting a new power within his people that we begin to want to do the things that God says and have the power to actually carry it out. We're learning to become more like Jesus Christ because God's spirit is within us. Next, the Holy Spirit illuminates. Uh, That means our our eyes are increasingly open uh, to who God is, to how God is created life to work, we begin to see things as they really are. The Holy Spirit is giving us eyes to see. Next, the Holy Spirit guides us. Uh, That is that God has a plan for each of our lives. He does. He, He has good works prepared for each of us to do in our homes, in our jobs, in ministry. And the Spirit leads us, gives us a sense of what God wants us to do. So the Christian life is a life led by the Spirit. Uh, Next, the Spirit equips, that He gives every 
follower of Jesus, different abilities, gifts, talents, to be able to bless others. And so each of us have some kind of spiritual gift to be able to bless others and to honor Christ. The Spirit gives this to us. And lastly, the Spirit empowers, gives us the power to use those gifts to bless others and to honor God. All right, we just went through a lot of doctrine right there. All right, um, I, I hope that that's memorable to you, but I really wanted to go through it quickly as a foundation to get to the key part today, which is Holy Spirit implications. It's kind of like the big so what question. Okay, doctrine of the Holy Spirit, so what? How does that affect us today, and how does it change how we live? So two implications that I want us to consider this morning. First, we need the Holy Spirit in us to be truly alive. What the Scriptures are telling us is that we need the Holy Spirit in us to be truly alive. Uh, Jesus had a famous uh, interaction with a religious teacher named Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus secretly. He was kind of afraid of uh, what his relationship with Christ would mean for for um, his relationship to his peers. And so Jesus has this conversation with him about spiritual life. And in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, we read this, that Jesus replied to Nicodemus, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. See, Jesus is calling Nicodemus not just to a religious life, not just to moralism, uh, to try hard to do the right things. He's talking about a spiritual life that Nicodemus needs but doesn't have. And that's the case for every single human being. All of us are born naturally. We all have natural human life. And Jesus is talking about a spiritual life that none of us have by natural birth. But all of us desperately need if we are to be truly alive. Now, maybe you've heard that phrase before, born again. Uh, It actually was used a lot probably in the 70s and the 80s to describe uh, what it meant for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's kind of fallen out of vogue today as a common way of, of describing what it means to put your faith in Jesus. But, but it, it was talked a lot about because, especially back in the 70s and the 80s, there still existed a lot of cultural Christianity, where a lot of people in our culture would consider themselves Christians simply because they lived in a quote-unquote Christian nation. So they were Christian by natural birth. And, and the t- teaching of the Bible is that no one is Christian by natural birth. We only can become a Christian by this second birth, by the life of the Spirit, the life of God producing God's life within us. This is actually uh, uh, seated deeply into the history of our evangelical free church denomination. Back in the 1800s, when this was first founded, um, a lot of the the first EFCA people actually lived over in uh, Norway, Sweden, Scandinavia. And at the time, uh, everybody, especially in Sweden, would have considered themselves a Christian. It was actually state law that everyone had to take communion once a year because they considered religion to be good for society. So it was uh, mandated by the state that you 
essentially be a Christian. Well, the truth was, not everyone was a Christian. A lot of people sat in churches. A lot of people took communion. A lot of people would have maybe nodded their heads at these, you know, key facts. But in terms of actually knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ, living as his disciple, that was a complete non-reality. And so a lot of the first uh, evangelical free church people gathered together in quote-unquote free churches, free from the state control, because they wanted to study the scriptures and take communion together with other people who really wanted to follow Jesus Christ. And there was this real recognition that we need to be born again. We need the life of the Spirit within us, within our church, if we're really going to live out what we see in the scriptures. Um, There's a little devotional book uh, called The Indwelling Life of Christ, written by a a guy named Sir Ian Thomas, uh, as a British guy. And I really appreciated this devotional book because it talks a lot about this reality. How do we, as ordinary human beings, learn to to follow Christ today by the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of Christ in our lives. And I want to read you a quote from this book. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but I think you'll appreciate it. Uh, Sir Ian Thomas says, to be entirely honest, I knew of nothing quite so boring as Christianity without Christ. Countless people have given up going to a place of worship simply because they are sick of going through the motions of a dead religion. They are sick of trying to start a car in an empty tank. What a pity that there are not more people around to show them that Jesus Christ is alive. The utmost need in every ministry group, every missionary outreach, every denomination is to rediscover the Lord Jesus Christ and the indispensability of his indwelling presence within the believer. This means encountering the risen living Lord who shares his life with us on earth on our way to heaven so that he may accomplish through us what he began to do in his own physical body 2,000 years ago. The Christian life is nothing less than the life he lived then, now by him, in you. Isn't that a great quote? To be fully alive as a human being, we need the life of God in us. Jesus has made this possible. See, when we confess our sin and and trust in his work, he not only promises to forgive our sin, to clear our, our debt, he also promises to send the Holy Spirit to live within us now. That's the promise for all who place their faith in Jesus Christ, as he promises the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the first implication that we're considering today is we need the Holy Spirit in us to be truly alive. The second implication that I want us to consider, though, is that not only do we need the Holy Spirit within us to be truly alive, we need the Holy Spirit to lead us so that we can live like Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to lead our lives, to fill our lives, really to direct our lives, if we're going to live like Jesus. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the Galatian church, in uh, chapter 5, verse 25, he said this to them. He said, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Um, He's saying, uh, if if you have come to Jesus Christ, then, then we're alive by the Spirit. Anyone that puts their faith in Jesus Christ we are told in the scriptures, are sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, God has put his spirit within you. For some of you, you might remember that day, and it was 
night and day difference. You, you, you know when the Spirit came to live within you. Others of you, it was much more subtle. That was the case for me. I was pretty young. So for me, it wasn't this you know, Pentecost, Acts 2 kind of experience. But I see the effects of the Spirit in my life today. I see the life of God working itself out in, my, in and through my life. See, anyone that puts their faith in Jesus Christ has the Spirit within them. But it doesn't mean that anyone that has the Spirit is being led by the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. If you're alive in the Spirit, well, also keep in step with the Spirit. Don't be going in a different direction than the Spirit wants to go. Um, let me try to, uh, to illustrate this. Uh, some of you here m- might have a, a gas oven at your house. Who, who here does? Just a few, okay. I do, I, we have a gas oven at our house. Um, now, I, this is the first time I actually have owned a house with a gas oven, which you have to, you have to use properly, all right? Um, see, see, to cook well in a gas oven, a couple things have to happen. Uh, one, it's pretty important that the pilot light is on when you turn the gas up. If the pilot light isn't on when you turn the gas up, um, not only are you not going to get any heat in the oven, you're actually going to cause quite a problem. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have gas that could easily make you sick, even kill you, uh, or it could cause an explosion once it fills the house and something else ignites it. The pilot light has to be lit in the oven if the oven is going to cook anything. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is like the pilot light that must be on in our lives and within our churches if, if we're going to see the Christian life lived out. And a lot of people in a lot of churches are doing a lot of uh, things to try to force the Christian life, like turning the temperature way up. But if the pilot light's not on, nothing's going to happen. Matter of fact, it could be damaging. But also, just because there's a pilot light on in the oven, if I stick my pan of uncooked cookies in there, they're not going to bake with just the pilot light. If I never turn the temperature up, if I never turn the gas up, those cookies are just going to sit there in the oven uncooked. You see, the Holy Spirit is present in our lives, but in almost a subtle way. And what God intends is that the Holy Spirit fill every area of our lives, that the temperature is turned up, so that the Holy Spirit is beginning to lead us in every aspect, in our relational lives, in our work lives, in our finance, all areas of life the Spirit intends to fill And as we turn the temperature up, make ourselves more and more available, yielded to the Spirit, then we see the the Scriptures being lived out in our lives. See, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us what this looks like. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit, that when the Spirit has control in our lives, we begin to see things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what Jesus looked like. And the characteristics of Jesus begin to become increasingly true in our lives as the Holy Spirit leads us. So it's a question of the Holy Spirit being present and then leading our lives, which certainly begs the question, how do we let the Holy Spirit lead our lives? If the Holy Spirit produces all of these good things in our lives, I mean, I don't know many people that wouldn't want their lives characterized by things like love, joy, peace, patience, all those things. If we want those things, how do we allow the Holy Spirit to produce them? And with the very short time we have remaining, I'm going to walk us through a couple quick things. 
First of all, and I must say this, um, if, we're gonna, if the Spirit is going to produce those kind of things in our lives, we need the Holy Spirit in our life. We must first ask the question, have I trusted Jesus Christ? See, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, asking Jesus to forgive our sins, asking Jesus to lead our lives. All who look to Jesus in faith, God promises the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit only comes through faith in Jesus. So have you put your faith in Jesus Christ, asked Him to forgive your sin, lead your life? First, receive the gift of the Spirit through faith in Jesus. Second, there's a practice of daily personal surrender to the Spirit's leadership. Uh, I would encourage you um, to put this practice into play in your life. I find that I naturally ask God to do things for me. Like, God, I pray you'd help my day to go well. I pray for safety. I pray for health. Actually, Susan kind of began our prayer today, our service today, recognizing how quickly we ask God for all those blessings. And God wants us to ask Him for those things. So please keep asking for Him. But we also must surrender our lives to God and say, God, I want you today to lead me into the things that you want for me. God, I, I give myself today towards your purposes. Sometimes God's purposes for us might not be the things we'd choose. And the question is, who's in charge of life? Is it us or God? And there's a practice of daily surrendering to God, saying, please lead my life today. Please direct me by the Holy Spirit. I encourage you, practice that prayer. God, fill me with your spirit and lead me today. It begins to shape how we look at life. And then the third thing that I think is so key, if we're going to be led by the Spirit, uh, it's the practice of corporate worship. It's the practice of corporate worship. It was no coincidence that the Holy Spirit was sent to the disciples as they were gathered together in worship. God loves His family. And God wants to bless His family as they are together. And we even see this kind of taught out in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is giving counsel about being filled with the Spirit. And he tells them in Ephesians 5, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Paul is saying there's some things to, to get rid of, to surrender to Christ, but there's also this filling that has to happen. Whereas we together are worshiping God, being captivated by who He is, what He has done, His goodness, His greatness, uh, we're incre increasingly available, open to God. Uh, this is why we gather together, and we sing, and we worship, because we are opening up our lives to God and worshiping Him for who He is. Uh, one of the great ends of our life is worship, and everyone's going to worship. It's just a question of who or what. Uh, we see this, I mean, whether it's uh, worshiping a sports team, whether it's a band, whether it's a movie, uh, whether it's a career, whether it's a person, we all want to give ourselves an adoration to someone or something. And there is only one who is truly worthy of our full adoration and devotion. And it's the one who's given himself completely to us. So when we gather together, um, I encourage you to lean into this practice of together worshiping God for who he is, for what he has done, and see what he'll do in your lives as he fills our lives with his Holy Spirit. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we are so thankful that you're a God who has loved us enough uh, to send your son to us. Uh, first of all, Lord, 
uh, to take our sin upon yourself. Thank you um, that, Lord, you did not um, reject us even when we were rejecting you, but you've pursued us and loved us and forgiven us. But God, you've done far more than that. Uh, Lord, you not only have forgiven us, but Lord, you have given yourself uh, in the Holy Spirit to empower us, to indwell us, to lead us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to take hold of this life that is truly life. God, I pray that uh, this week um, we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that increasingly your character would be lived out through our lives. God, increasingly would our eyes be open to you, to what you have done, to who you are. And God, I pray that even as we sing, and even as we sing now, God, we know that you inhabit the praises of your people. So God, help us to be aware of your presence now and help us to give you the praise and the honor that you so deserve. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.